So among those who are here this morning, who has an envelope number less than 100? Well, I guess none of our founders are here. Ah, some. anybody with an envelope number less than 100 stand, please. These are amongst our founders, founding families. So uh, thanks for being here for 30 years and uh, certainly making our community what it is. <laughs> Next Mass, I'll go under 300, so maybe there are a few more. There's a, a book, and the title of it is Bury the Chains, Prophets and Rebels in the Fight to Free an Empire's Slaves. It's by a fellow whose name is uh, Hoschild, and he writes about this. He, he writes about the disconnect between what we say we believe and what we do. And I think all of us, you know, probably find ourselves in that place from time to time. We, you know, we come to church on Sunday and we try to be good Catholic Christians. We read the scriptures and we know about our faith and, and, and we say what we believe, but we, do, we really, do we really live it out? And, you know, we've all made, including myself, lots of mistakes with that. And this author speaks about the the imperative to love. And as Pope Francis, of course, says, particularly love the poor and the oppressed. And, of course, how often we fail to do that. So Hochschild offers examples of saying one thing, yet doing another. And he, he goes back to late 18th century religious and political leaders and their relationship with slavery. They were all against slavery until it affected their pocketbooks. John Locke, philosopher, person who very much influences what happens in our country with regards to Declaration of Independence and a Constitution, a leading political thinker and writer of the day in England, and he wrote regularly about the evils of slavery. But he invested a large sum of money in the Royal African Company. And the slaves that were sold by that company had Royal African Company branded on their chests. The French philosopher Voltaire he ridicules slavery in his book, Candide. But despite this, he felt very honored that a slave ship owner would name his ship after him. And here in our country, in the American South, the, despite the preaching of, about the love of God and neighbor, even some Catholic convents own slaves. You know the, the story, Gone with the Wind. If you watch the movie very closely, in Terra, there's a crucifix on the wall. The family were Catholics, owning slaves. Archbishop Elder, he was from Maryland, a southern state. His family owned slaves. 
so you know this disconnect between what we say we believe and what we do and it's we're called to live a life of love and a life of giving a, you know, a life of caring for others but are we doing it and and like the question regarding the coin and the tax last week there's an unanswerable question asked of Jesus in today's reading. You know, which is the greatest commandment? Of course, Pharisees are trying to trip him up here. And Jesus responded, but instead of singling out one commandment, he quotes part of the Shema, which is a, a creed, a prayer that good Jews would or do pray every morning, perhaps at other times of the day. He says, you shall love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And that probably would have been enough to satisfy the Pharisees. But he goes on and, and, and tells us that we are to love our neighbor as well, and those are equal. You know, that disconnect. We say what we believe being different from what we do. We celebrate today the feast of Margaret Clitheroe. And anyone who is, you know, publicly recognized as a saint is someone to whom we can look knowing that there was not a disconnect. That what she said she believed and what she did were one and the same. And she lived at a very difficult time for someone who was Catholic. And as a matter of fact, she wasn't even born Catholic. She had been born after the Protestant Reformation. She had been born into Elizabethan England. And, uh, you know, the, the daughter of a very wealthy family in York. She marries a very wealthy man who never himself converts to Catholicism, but his brother does, William Clitheroe. She names her first son not after her husband, but after her brother-in-law because of the, the goodness that came through that man. He eventually becomes a priest. And Margaret, you know, as she saw what was happening in her country, and she saw good people who were supposed to believe one thing but doing another, you know, she, she had to talk about it. She had to do something about it. And so she becomes Catholic herself, uh, we believe about the age of 22 when this happens, and uh, immediately it, recognizing you know, the, the importance of the Eucharist, the Mass in her life. She was willing to risk her life to lay it on the line and uh, you know, to assure that those who wanted to be able to celebrate Eucharist could do so. And so she brought priests into her own home which she knew if she were caught, that execution was likely to follow. She even assured that when, when, we, when they knew that people were watching her home, that Mass could still be celebrated in a local inn. And so that Mass would continue to be celebrated in York, England, at least in one tiny place. And she went beyond that. She wanted her children to know their Catholic faith. And at that time, if you didn't go to the Protestant church on Sunday, you were fine. 
Well, she refused to go. And while things were, you know, not too difficult on the Catholics, um, they didn't come after her right away. They would arrest her. She was arrested several times and thrown in jail. And her husband, even though not Catholic, was more than willing to pay the fine. But times kept getting darker and darker. And, uh, you know, in this England of Elizabeth, it was to stamp out the Catholic faith. And Margaret was doing everything with her youngsters and other children and adults in the neighborhood to keep that from happening. And uh, she started a school where the other children of the Shambles, as uh, her neighborhood is still known, could receive instruction in their Catholic faith. And uh, the raids would happen. They'd, you know, they'd get away by the skin of their teeth. Uh, but one day, uh, the constable and friends show up. And uh, the priest got away. And, uh, but what happens is they, they grab an 11-year-old boy. And um, you know, they, they strip him and uh, hold the cane there, ready to beat the living daylights out of him. And of course, he, he cracks. And he, he tells them what's going on. So Margaret is immediately arrested. And uh, she languishes for uh, a number of weeks in jail. And the trial is going on and on and on. And, she would not plead. And in England of that time, if you pled guilty, they killed you. And if you wouldn't plead guilty, they killed you. So she would not plead. And uh, this goes on. And the people, quite frankly, knew of her goodness. Even though they may not have been Catholic, they were supportive of her. And the judges, most of them, tried to let her off. But uh, one individual in particular would not. And uh, so because she doesn't plea, she suffers uh, execution under uh, a form called pien du four. Uh, so you were laid on the ground naked, you had a door placed on you and 800 pounds of weight after a rock was placed under the small of your back. And so she was executed in this manner, but the reason she would not plea is because she did not want to implicate anyone. If she had pled guilty, her children might have been tried. Her husband would have been tried. And so she gave up her life for this faith of ours. You know, and a, a woman who, who lived it deeply, who wanted others to see that uh, in, in what she believed it was lived out in her life. And so we have as a patroness a very brave and wonderful woman whose primary concern was her faith, uh, along with her family and her children, and seeing to it that they would be formed in this Catholic faith of ours. Her daughter was uh, arrested and held in jail for some four years. Eventually, after uh, release, uh, goes to the continent and becomes a, a nun. Uh, both of her sons, uh, William and John, become Catholic priests. And, um, you know, the, the example of their mother and uh, the example of the church trying to be, you know, the, the good and, 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 and loving presence in that world. So we remember this woman and this parish community of ours, of course, founded on uh, her as our patroness. And uh, as I said in my opening remarks, we uh, certainly enjoy the, the love and company of many children here in our parish community. Um, I tell others that this is the noisiest parish in the Archdiocese of Cincinnati. And it is, and, and I think we should all um, 
you know, uh, enjoy that and uh, uh, be thankful that uh, that is the kind of community that we have here. We are certainly thankful to uh, those who uh, have envelope numbers less than a certain uh, one that are founders of this parish, and uh, we should celebrate, uh, celebrate greatly who we are, who our patroness is, and certainly who we become and continue to become in the Lord Jesus. Let us be thankful this day for uh, this faith of ours, and let us be ever mindful that our God calls us to love him and to love our neighbor 